And peace is far more than protection from annihilation. Peace is more than the cessation of hostilities. Peace is more than a state of mind or the tranquility of a countryside. Peace is commitment to a way of life which precludes war, poverty, slavery, prejudice, and fear. Peace is action. Peace is the fruit of love. It's the fruit of God. You know, Augustine, a great giant in the faith, he was saturated with pagan philosophies and motivated by unmanageable lusts. And he met the Prince of Peace in a fourth century garden and that civil war in his heart where there was nothing but, but warfare. Became, it ceased and he became the mighty giant that we know in history. We know that 2 Corinthians is Paul's response to a letter that was sent and he sent... Uh, this letter in response from what Titus had told him about the church of Corinth. And that was around A.D. 55. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Now we're going to initially look at verses 1 through 18, but don't worry. I'll be picking uh, certain things out of there. And it writes, or Paul writes, Now I, Paul, myself am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent am bold towards you. I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Do you look at the things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ's, let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ's, even so we are Christ's. For even I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for your destruction. I shall not be ashamed, lest I seem ter terrify you by letters. For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when we are absent, such we will also be indeed when we are present. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and, com and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us a sphere which especially includes you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you, for it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ, not boasting of things beyond measure that is in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord, for not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. That's a lot of text, but let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, as we come humbly to your word, we ask that you would make it true and alive in our hearts. Lord, 
we just surrender ourselves to you. We ask that you would help us to apply your word, that you would help us to do your work through it and because of it. And we thank you for it all in Jesus' name, the strong Son of God. Amen. To start living in true peace, take, first of all, we have to take control of our mind. We have to be consistent and we need to stay, and I like this, stay in your lane. Number one, we have to take control of our minds and we have to, you, you have to take control of your mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm going to look at verse 3. We are human, but we do not wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. And after you have become fully obedient, we will punish everyone who remains disobedient. Now this is an interesting section of scripture, isn't it? And Paul says he used God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning, to destroy false arguments against the gospel. You know, today we tend to look at intellectual arguments when dealing with those who would tell us the gospel isn't valid, like atheists and, and, the, other, and the other religions. However, we forget that there is a spiritual battle for that person's soul, and we completely leave our encounters thinking that we've won something. And you know what else? So does your opponent. They think they won too. Why? Because we have not done what the Scripture tells us. We have not waged our warfare in the spiritual. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, Satan, who is the god of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. What did it say? They are blinded. That's why they can leave an encounter with a Christian and say, I win. They're stupid. And if you don't believe they're not saying that in their minds, you've got something coming. I've had them say it out loud to me. They've even told, told me that I, I have a crutch. And I told them I'd rather have a crutch going to heaven than going to hell, brother. They are blinded. They need the battle in the spiritual realm to be fought over them as well as the battle for the intellectual realm. We become really good at knowing our scriptures as Southern Baptists and in this church knowing our scriptures. We become not so great at waging our warfare in the spiritual and prayer. We used to call that being prayed up and studied up. You remember that? Being prayed up. You prayed up. Remember that? People would ask you. And then if you said, yes, you were, and you weren't, then you had to repent of sin because you just lied. Some people are with me on that. Other people are like, yeah, I don't know about that. Second Timothy 2.15 says, Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. 
Why is it as Christians we talk about sharing the gospel, about the importance of prayer, and we do neither of those things? Both should be operational in a Christian's life in order to live the Christian life that's useful and that is honoring to God and of God. 2 Corinthians 10.5, remember we said, remember what it said? We tear down arguments and every presumption set up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. There's two things that are going on here. Number one, we're to tear down arguments, not the person arguing, per se. When we go from arguing, or not arguing, but, but um, when we go from explaining to arguing, and then we make it personal, not what they're saying, but who they are, then you've just lost them. You may leave superior, thinking that you feel superior, but what you've done is you've sent somebody to hell if they're unsaved. Let that sink in. We're to be able to defend our faith both in our own minds and the minds of others. We're to be able to tackle people's presumptions, whether they are presumptuous through pride or not knowing any better. We're to be gentle as a dove and wise as a serpent in the process to turn them back toward the truth found in Jesus Christ alone. And number two, and this is where it becomes even more personal, even more about you. And I hate to say that it's about you, but this is. We are to take captive every wrong thought that is against God to make it obedient to Christ. And somebody's going, wait a minute, I can't control my thoughts. Yes, you can, Christian. You can choose. What does this look like? Well, one, you have the ability as a human being, and especially as a believer to control your thought life. Thoughts that just pop into your head. You can choose to think on those things or not. How do I know that? Because the scripture tells me that in Philippians 4.8. It says, Fondly, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellence or praiseworthy, think on these things. Things It would not tell you to think on a thing if you couldn't just think on a thing, couldn't you? You can control your thoughts. Number two, you can even say under your breath, and I've done this. I cast that thought out in Jesus' name because that came from way out right field. I cast it out in Jesus' name. Verbalizing and claiming spiritual authority over your thought life is, is of utmost importance to the Christian life. You have the authority through Jesus Christ to control your thought life. And I've, I've had to do it before. Try it if you've never done it. You'd be surprised how well that works. There are so many people who have no idea that they can and that they should take control of their thought life in Jesus' name. This is where the battle is fought and it is lost or won. It's in the mind. It starts in the mind. It is fought and lost in the mind. Where your mind leads, your body will follow. Sin is conceived in the mind, and when it's had full fruition, it is carried out, doesn't it? Number two, you can't just do this willy-nilly. You can't just do this when you feel like it. You've got to be consistent. This brings us to our next point, be consistent. 2 Corinthians 10, chapter 10, verse 7 says, Look at the obvious facts. 
Those who say they belong to Christ must recognize that we belong to Christ as much as they do. I may seem to be boasting too much about the authority given to us by the Lord, but our authority builds you up. It doesn't tear you down. So I will not be ashamed of using my authority. I'm not trying to, to frighten you by my letters. For some say Paul's letters are demanding and forceful, but in person he is weak and his speeches are worthless. Well, those people should realize that our actions when we arrive in person will be as forceful as what we say in our letters from far away. Oh, don't worry. We wouldn't dare say that we are as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are, but they are only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as the standard of measurement. How ignorant! Anyone who has a physical, mental, or spiritual authority over you or you over someone else, must not use that authority to tear others down, but to build them up in Christ. Think about that a minute. You ever met someone who's a big talker in front of you, but when confronted by the person they, they're, they're talking about, all of a sudden, they, they aren't the same person, are they? They're different. Don't be like that. The scripture here says to be consistent. Be the same person when you're in front of people as you are behind their backs. Be the same person at all times. That doesn't, by the way, give you permission to gossip. Just saying. Matthew chapter 18 says, if you've got aught with somebody, you should meet with them. Be the same person at all times. You ever met one, someone who's so wonderful, if you give them a minute, they'll tell you how wonderful they are? How about spiritual? You ever met someone that's so spiritual, if you give them a minute, they'll, they'll tell you how spiritual they are, how prideful they are, how wonderful they are? Don't tell me how wonderful or spiritual you are. Just live your life the best you can in Christ. And guess what? We'll figure it out all on our own. We will. This happens to me all the time. I meet someone and we start up a conversation and without fail, F-bomb after F-bomb after F-bomb is every other word out of their mouths. And then they find out I'm, I'm a pastor or a Christian or whatever. And all of a sudden, in that same conversation, they stop cursing. They start telling me how spiritual they are and what they believe. And uh, I've got a neighbor who had no idea I was a pastor and just a Christian. And because I'd worked the gospel into the conversation... Uh, but as soon as they asked me what my job was, and I mentioned pastor, their whole demeanor changed. I mean, just changed. It's also the same, same neighbor who said that he believes Christ was an alien, and then the conversation went off the rails there for a little while, till, till, what, till I worked it back into, no, he's the son of God. Um, so that was an interesting conversation. You want more information on that? We can talk afterward, but it was fun. <laughs> um, there's an old joke where a bunch of doctors get together, and perhaps you've seen it on TV, and, and they introduce themselves. Doctor, 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 doctor. They all got to have that, that wonderful name out there. Um, and, and you know what? It, it, it's that kind of thing that just bothers me. They're measuring themselves by each other as the standard. 
that, you know, that happens in a lot of jobs too. Uh, and pastors aren't immune. And I hate that kind of stuff. And Paul calls it ignorant. I've been to a pastor's breakfast and, and you've got all these, all these pastors together and we're talking and sharing what God's doing in our lives and what God's doing in our churches and how God is moving and, and I'm a, a part of that and sharing all that. And all of a sudden, the pastor from a 500-member church walks in. Everybody's quiet. They stop talking. Just because he's the pastor of a 500-member church don't mean he is the grand poobah. I told God long ago, I'll preach to one, I'll preach to a hundred, I'll preach to a thousand, whatever you want me to preach to, Lord. The same way I am now is the same way I am later. And I've preached to one, I've preached to ten, I've preached to twenty, I've preached to forty, I've preached to a hundred. I've preached to a hundred and fifty, I've preached to two hundred. Guess what? It's the same message over and over. It's Jesus and Him crucified. That's what Paul said to preach. Preach Jesus and Him crucified. It's all about Jesus. It's not about us. It's not about the person. It's not about our degrees on the wall. It's not about, look how great we are. It's about Jesus. Look how great Jesus is. And sometimes we got to stop ourselves and make sure that in our speech and in our actions that we are actually showing that that we are actually showing that it's about Jesus and not us. Jesus is the standard by which we must be measured, not each other. Jesus is the standard. I dare say that all of us have fallen short of that standard a time or two. But all of us have to fall to our knees and say, Oh God, forgive me. Forgive me. And help me to live in you. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. Now, I got a story about a young man who was being consistent. A young boy enters a barber shop, and the barber whispers to his customer, he says, This is the dumbest kid in the world. Watch what? Watch, I'll prove it to you. So the barber puts a dollar bill in one hand, two quarters in the other. And then he calls the boy over and he asks, which do you want, son? And he didn't close his hands. They were wide open. And the boy takes the quarters and leaves. He goes, Barbara laughs. He says, what I tell you? That kid never learns. And later when the customer leaves, he sees the same young man coming out of the ice cream shop. And he says, hey, son, let me ask you a question. Why'd you take the quarters instead of the dollar bill? And the boy licked his ice cream cone, which, by the way, at that time only cost two quarters. And he said, because the day I take the dollar bill, the game is over. <laughs> he was consistent. He always took the quarters. So be consistent. And lastly, stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. That may seem weird, but you'll, you'll get it when we get there. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. We will not boast about things done outside our area of authority. We will boast only about what has happened 
with the boundaries of the work of God and given us, which includes our working with you. We are not reaching beyond these boundaries when we claim authority over you as if we had never visited you. For we are the first to travel all the way to Corinth with the good news of Christ. Nor do we boast and claim credit for the work someone else has done. Instead, we hope that your faith will grow so that the boundaries of our work among you will be extended. Then we will be able to go and preach the good news in other places far beyond you, where no one else is working. Then there will be no question of our boasting about work done in someone else's territory. As the scripture says, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. And when people commend themselves, it doesn't count for much. The important thing is for the Lord to commend them. Paul's basically saying that he's going to stay out of other people's business. He's not going to take credit for other people's work. He's not going to boast about the work of God that's been done through somebody else. He's just going to let the Lord commend him. He's going to do what God's called him to do. And then you get to see the glory of God through that. Each one of us has an area of influence. Perhaps yours is on the job or somewhere else. The simple truth is that no matter where you find yourself, you have a sphere of influence. In this sphere, are you talking liberty with your authority? Are you talking about Jesus with your authority? Romans 12.3 says, Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Remember verses 17 and 18. But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. For not he who commands himself is approved, but whom the Lord commands. Paul states that he doesn't take credit for anyone's work. You ever met someone who does that, though? Whether in the church, out of the church, in the office, wherever, they take credit for your work. In your sphere, do not take credit for someone else's work. Whether that is Christian work or secular work, just don't do it. It's not yours to boast about. The problem is that so many people will boast about their work when it isn't their work. We're to make our boast in the Lord. We're to be humble and not toot our own horn, but let the Lord toot the horn. Let God show others about you. But when you boast, boast as to what the Lord has done, not you, because really you didn't do it. God did. Let me summarize this for you. Stay in your lane, mind your business, and let the Lord lift you up. Stay in your lane, mind your business, let the Lord lift you up. If you can't remember anything, remember this. To start living in peace, you need to take control of your mind. You need to be consistent and stay in your lane. Take control of your mind, your thoughts. And if you do that, you'll find that your actions will change. Be consistent with being consistent about God. Be consistent with being consistent while living the Christian life and always stay in your lane and give God the glory. That's what it's all about. Take no glory for yourself, but give God the glory. As the ladies come to sing,